Well, it's, it's football season. We know it's football season. Some uh, college teams played yesterday. A, a team from Kansas won and a team from Kansas lost. And, and so uh, it's a little unusual. I, I, we should expect big things today because it was sort of a miraculous occurrence yesterday, uh, which one of those teams won and which one lost. And so, uh, uh, but it, it's football season. We're in this series we're calling Under Review. You know, you, you maybe will watch the Kansas City Chiefs play this afternoon. They're playing a football game, and, and there'll be a play during the course of that game when, when everything stops, and the referees will kind of get together, and then they'll, they'll, one of them will run over to the sideline, and, and now they use this, uh, you know, this iPad or, or whatever, this tablet, and they'll look at that, and they'll, they'll look at the replay of the, the play that just happened. And they'll try to determine what really happened. Is, is what they saw what happened, or did something else actually occur in that, in that play? Replay's been around for a, a long time. The, the first time a replay was shown on, on television in the United States was during a college football game, an Army-Navy game in 1963. They had one camera that was focused on the Navy quarterback, and one camera that was focused on the Army quarterback, and, and that camera just stayed on the quarterback the en- entire game. And in the fourth quarter, the Army quarterback scored on a one-yard uh, run into the end zone, and they showed that replay. And the announcer uh, said this during that uh, replay. He said, this is not live, ladies and gentlemen. Army did not score again. It was the first replay ever on national television and it was at real speed it was it, and so it looked like live action and the announcer had to had to say hey this isn't you know this didn't just happen again and so uh, uh, it was a replay uh, replay kind of stuck around didn't it uh, in 1965 uh, technology advanced to the point where they could slow down that replay and the New York Times said about baseball and that slow Emotion replay that the day of reckoning for umpires may be near. It sounds very serious, doesn't it? They're, they're gonna, we're going to find out if they're right or if they're wrong. In 1986, the NFL, uh, for the first time, experimented with uh, instant replay and, and to kind of correct calls that went bad. And from 1986 rather to uh, 1992, the NFL had that system in place, and then the owners voted uh, to do away with it because they thought that it slowed down the game too much. And then again in 1999, the NFL reinstituted uh, reviews of plays utilizing instant replay, and, and ever since then, that's been a part of the game. And I suppose this afternoon, uh, some of us will be frustrated when the game stops and, and they take several minutes to to go under review and to look at this instant replay and try to decide if they should change the call or not. And some of us will be really excited when they do that. And, and I suppose it, it sort of begs the question, you know, why did leagues, you know, every league now has some form of instant replay, some form of, of review system for their calls and for the officials? And, and why is that? And I guess it, it's sort of uh, for the same reason that we, when we look at our life as a whole, we have to say, well, why should we, why should we review anything? 
uh, this series, we're going to spend a long time in this, this sermon that Jesus teaches. And in this section of scripture, it's not for the light of heart. It's not, it's, it's heavy stuff. You know, when you, when you read what Jesus asks his disciples to do, and you kind of uh, compare that to maybe what we actually do in our lives, man, it's pretty heavy stuff. It's, 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 not, uh, it's, it's meat and not milk. And, and as we look at that, we have to ask ourselves, well, why do that at all? Why review what's going on at all? And, and for some of us, I suppose the answer is pretty clear. For some of us, we're in a spot in our life where things just could not have gone any worse lately. You know, uh, we, we might say, man, it's a wreck right now. And, and I've made poor choices or the circumstances that I find myself in are just, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what direction to head. I don't know what to do tomorrow. I'm not sure what the next step is. And so to review what's going on makes a lot of sense. For some of us, we look around and we say, man, life's pretty good. You know, everything seems to be going all right. I'm going to go home, and we're going to have lunch, and I'm going to watch the Chiefs game, and life is good, and everything's happy, and, and I, I, things seem to be progressing pretty well. So why would we review anything at all? I, I guess it's the same reason that in that football game this afternoon, uh, at some point in time, the officials will, will go under that hood, right? And they'll review the play that just happened. Even though the game is progressing, even though the, the, the game continues on, everything seems to be going okay, they'll review the play that just happened because they want to know if they can make a difference one way or another, if that play will make a difference one way or another. And this morning, as we ask that question, you know, why review anything? You know, it, it's because of why I think most of us are here this morning. You know, I really believe that most of us are here this morning because we want, in some way or another, in our lives, to make a difference. And Jesus, uh, in the section of Scripture this morning, says, hey, as followers, as disciples of mine, Jesus said, I want you to be difference makers. I want you to make a difference. And in the section of Scripture, in Matthew chapter 5, Verses 13 through 16, he teaches us three steps to making a difference in the world around us. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Last week we were in the very end of the Old Testament in Malachi. If you just turn a page over, you're going to find the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 5. Take a look at verses 13 through 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, if uh, you're using your mobile device to read scripture this morning, you can find all of this information on our, our, on our app, on the Wallula Christian Church app, so if you haven't downloaded that, go ahead and do that sometime today. You can find the outline that's in the back of your bulletin as well, so you can kind of fill in the blanks on the app as you go along, you can find this section of scripture they're on the app as well, and uh, if you're in a sermon-based small group, you can find those questions on the app every week, and so the questions that your leader will be going through in a small group, you can kind of review those ahead of time and, and uh, think about those this week. Even if you're not in a small group, you can utilize those as you look back at Matthew chapter 5, taking a look at verses 13 through 16 this morning. This is what God's Word says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt 
but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp. Uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, three steps to making a difference in uh, the world around us. Step number one is to be salty. Let's take a little closer look at what Jesus means when he says, hey, I want you to be the salt of the earth. Verse 13 begins simply by saying that you are the salt of the earth. And and that very first word is important, you. Uh, You you maybe have a picture of the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, in in Sunday school when you were a kid, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, there was probably this, this picture of Jesus sitting on a hillside and there's a few people around him, and, and, and what's going on is that there's this huge crowd that has followed Jesus, and, and he kind of calls his disciples away a little bit, maybe sort of like a football huddle, you know, and he, he calls his, his closest friends away a little bit, and he looks out at this crowd, and he says, you are the salt of the earth, you uh, what Jesus, uh, we, we is sort of the simple English word in the Greek, it carries a little heavier meaning, it has a little more impact. Jesus is really saying you. No, really, I mean you. And so when we begin in verse 13 and we read this, I, I want you to hear as a follower of Jesus that Jesus is talking specifically to you. I've already mentioned that what follows in the Sermon on the Mount, what follows in the next few chapters of the book of Matthew, is some pretty heavy material. It's a, it's a really high standard. In fact, it's such a high standard that some Bible scholars think, well, Jesus couldn't possibly be talking. He couldn't mean this for his disciples in this world. He's talking about, you know, sort of this perfect place. He's talking about this this paradise. He, he must be talking about, you know, heaven, this life to come. And, and someday disciples will be like this. The standard is so high that he couldn't possibly mean it for individuals in this world. Now, I don't think that's what's going on. And I think that's why Jesus begins verse 13 like this. No, I really mean you. I really want you to listen to this. I really want you to hear this. I really want you to be this salt of the earth. You know, salt is a is a common thing and and an important thing even even in today's world, but especially in Jesus' day, salt was was so important. Some Bible scholars, you know, will list all the all the ways that salt makes a difference that they can think of. And, and uh, I read a list as long as 11 different ways that salt makes a difference. And they list all of these out. If we did that today, we could come up with a list of, of ways that we use salt and utilize salt. And probably we would come up with about three that, that you know, make the most sense to us, are the most common. All right? Salt's used as a preservation method. Uh, not so much today, but throughout history, salt especially uh, throughout history, it was used as a preservation method. Salt is used to add taste to, you know, what we eat. We want it to, we want to season what we're cooking or whatever, and so salt provides flavor. And then when we think of salty snacks or whatever, salty food, you know, well, salt causes us to thirst. And I suppose that, you know, any of those three would preach, huh? I mean, Jesus could mean any of those three. If he's talking to his disciples, I want you to be a 
an agent of preservation. I want you to, I want you to add flavor to the world around you, to, to stand out in the world around you. I want you to cause others to, uh, to be hungry, to thirst for me more. Right? He could probably mean in any of those three. Uh, I think w- what Jesus had in mind most was number one. Uh, especially in Jesus' day, salt was used as a, as a preservation uh, of food. There was no electricity, so there was no refrigeration. So if you wanted, you know, the, the animal that you, uh, you slaughtered for Sunday dinner to last longer than Sunday dinner, you had to figure out a way to preserve that meat. And they use salt. Now, when we think of salt, we think of something like this, this little salt shaker. And we kind of sprinkle it onto whatever, and, and we use it in that way. And that tends to be how uh, we lead even our, our, our walk with, with Jesus. We, we tend to be salt shaker Christians. You know, we kind of sprinkle it on. You know, I'll put this bumper sticker on my car. You know, on Wednesdays, I'll listen to, to the Christian radio station you know on sunday i'm going to show up at church and we sort of sprinkle on you know our our relationship with jesus in different areas of our lives understand when jesus said to be the salt of the earth everybody would had would have in mind that hey we use salt to preserve what's important to us it's so valuable in fact you know it was so valuable that it was part of the it was part of the benefits package for soldiers and in the roman army was a was an issue of uh, salt for their daily rations. It was, it was that valuable. It was that important. And, and if you said, hey, if, they, if somebody in Jesus' day said, hey, I need you to bring salt so we can take care of this meat so we can preserve it, and you showed up with a salt shaker, they'd say, well, where's the rest of it? You know, that's not, if you sprinkled it on the, the T-bone you wanted to keep, uh, you know, ready for next week, it's not going to work. You know, it really sort of has to be immersed in the salt. It has to be covered. You know, they would spread it on and rub it in. And it it has to be uh, totally over everything, covering everything. It has to be, uh, take every part of their life. And, And when we think of being the salt of the earth, that's our relationship with Jesus has to cover every aspect of our life. You know, this summer I would occasionally... Uh, buy a watermelon. I love watermelon, and I don't know why I do this except that it's delicious, but, uh, you know, I'll put salt on my watermelon. My kids look at me like I'm crazy. I don't know. Does anybody else salt their watermelon? Yeah, good. See, the smart people raise their hands, and everybody, you know, whatever, and so you put a little salt on the watermelon, and and I, I, I suppose I do this because, you know, my dad did that, right? I, that's how we did it growing up or whatever, and it happens to be delicious. Now, here's the deal. The real truth is, if you don't put salt on watermelon, guess what? Watermelon is still delicious, right? That's still wonderful. It's a great, man, nothing better on a summer day, right, than a piece of watermelon. That's great, even without salt. And when you look back and you think about being a salt shaker Christian, you know, you just kind of sprinkle on a little bit here, and you sprinkle on a little bit here, and you sprinkle on a little bit there, and you kind of review what just happened in your week, you kind of review what happened in your life, and you wonder, would that week be any different if I didn't sprinkle it on here or there or wherever? You know, when Jesus said, I want you to be the salt of the earth, he had in mind that, that system of preserving food for uh, the long haul. 
that it has to cover every part of that meal, of that food, of that feast. It had to, it, it made this huge difference in people's lives. It covered every part. So sometimes we just sprinkle it on. The other way that we tend to be uh, salt shakers Christians is that, you know, when we see something that's sort of gone wrong in our world, we, we maybe sprinkle a little salt in. You know, you, you've heard the phrase, you know, salt in the wound. I mean, sometimes as Christians, we, we sort of do that as well. We say, man, that was stupid. This is, you know, Jesus, you know, we just fill in the blank, right? And we just dump salt in. We say, man, you can't live like that. You can't do that. You can't make that choice. And, and uh, while th- we are called to live a life that, that points out uh, truth in people's lives, we have to learn to do that. With love, I heard a preacher say this week that we we tend to uh, we tend to talk about people to other people, and then what we really ought to be doing is we ought to talk to God about people, and then talk to people about God. Uh, does that make some sense? You know, when when we see you as Christians, sometimes we think to be salt in in the world, to be the salt of the earth, then we have to we have to tell everyone the the way they're. Uh, the mistakes they're making. You know, maybe if we spent some time talking to God about people. You know, I, I'm not saying that we ought not call sin, sin, because we should. But maybe if we spent some time talking to God about people, including ourselves, and the sin that's, that's present in our world, and we spent more time talking to people about God and how much he loves us and cares for us, how much he desires to make a difference in our lives. Maybe uh, we, could, we could be heard a little better. We can earn the right to be heard. Jesus goes on, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it may be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, here's the deal about salt. You, you know, do you know how long you've had the salt that's in your cupboard? You know, uh, when does salt go bad? When does salt lose its saltiness? I'm no chemist, but sodium chloride, you know, the half-life of sodium chloride, half-life is, is when, when, a, when a substance kind of is, loses half of its value, okay? And sodium chloride is one of the most stable uh, minerals in, 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 in the world. And the half-life of sodium chloride is 308,000 years, all right? So that, that salt that you have in your cupboard in like 616,000 years, it will lose its saltiness. So was Jesus just off base? Did his illustration lose sort of its oomph at this point? Was he mistaken? I, I don't think so. I think this is what Jesus had in mind. Uh, when when people in Jesus' day needed to find salt, they would they would collect you know salt water and and they would let it evaporate and they'd be left with different minerals, some of which would be salt, and and some of the salt would be much more pure than other salt. And I think what Jesus had in mind is is that the only way that salt kind of loses its saltiness is when it's mixed in with other stuff too much. And when that other stuff gets mixed in with the salt, you know, the salt loses its value a little bit. In fact, uh, there, there, were, there were business people in Jesus' day that 
would take some of this sort of mixed up salt and it would look a lot like salt they would just have too much other stuff mixed in and they would put that at the bottom of the bag and then put some good salt on top and sell it for the price of that of that whole bag you know the weight of that whole bag and and by when you got home and you were curing whatever you were curing right you were you were preserving whatever you were preserving and and you know kind of halfway through you realized man this stuff didn't last nearly as long as the the first part of my preservation process and that's because you know it lost its saltiness uh you know what what we're doing here today is is really is really a good thing to to come together and to study god's word together and and to uh worship together and kind of be refueled and and so that we can remain salt in our world around us so step number one is to be salty step number two is to be light. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So as I was writing this this message this, uh, for this week, and, and I was using my uh, this old study Bible I've had since I, my mom gave me the study Bible when I was like 12 years old. And I'm, I'm using this study Bible. It's all taped up and stuff, and it sits on my desk. It doesn't move because if you moved it, it, it would sort of, you know, fall apart and stuff. And so I'm using this, and, and at some point in time, I circled the word you in verse 14. And I circled the word you, and if you're using, you know, go ahead and do that right now if you want to. Circle the word you, all right? And I wrote an arrow, and at the end of that arrow, it had the word church. Because this this you, if you're reading if you're reading the the King James version, it'll have the word ye. Why why does it have the word ye? Because ye is the plural form, right? Jesus is looking out. Jesus is looking out at this crowd, and, and sure, he's kind of called his disciples closer, but he's not he's not looking at just an individual. He's calling to a crowd. I want you to be salt of the earth. I want you to be the light of the world. Uh, you can't do it alone. You won't be bright enough alone. You need each other. He's calling to every one of us uh, to be a, the church, to be a part of his team, to be a part of his family. It, it's this collective you, this communal you. Sure, we have a responsibility to be light individually, but when we throw our energy, when we pour our effort into, into the team that Jesus has established, into his church, then really amazing things can happen. You know, over the years, the church has sort of taken some different hits, and sometimes people will look at the church and say, this is everything that's wrong with the church. I don't know of a perfect church, and for sure throughout history and in the last couple of months, there have been things where you can, you can point to and, and decisions that have been made and actions that have been taken in different churches and around the world and in our country, and you can say, this is what's wrong with the church. But when you look back over all the good that the church has done, when you think about the really uh, positive things that surround us in our world, you know, if, if you ever go to the hospital... You know, there's a reason so many of those hospitals start with saint such and such. You know, because when people were sick, it was the church that decided, you know, we need to take care of these folks. 
We need to figure out how to help them. And so the church was instrumental in starting, you know, health care and providing health care and, and hospitals around the world. Or you maybe will send your kids, you'll, you'll send them on the bus or you'll drop them off in that dreaded drop-off line at school this week. And your kids will go in and, and, and many of them to a, a public school. You know, public education exists because the church saw a need. And said, man, we, we, need to be able to, we need to be able to teach people how to read and how to write and how to add and subtract. And, and we need to help people to, to, to learn. A public education exists because of the church. Because the church saw a need and started to meet that need. You, you think about some of the, the atrocities throughout history. The, the end of the slave trade is because believers saw that this, is, this isn't what God would want. And they, they started to, to work to end that slavery. The church made all the difference in, in so many different ways throughout history. When you think about Wallula Christian Church today, you know, some of you will serve at this homeless shelter tomorrow night. Every Monday uh, evening and, and Tuesday morning, we have people from Wallula Christian Church serve at the Shelter of Hope in Leavenworth, providing a safe place for the, the least of these in our area, folks that are just under-resourced and, and need, need some place to stay. We're, we're providing that shelter. Uh, every third Thursday, a team from Wallula Christian Church will feed hundreds of people in the spaghetti dinner downtown. Folks that may not may not know where their next meal is coming from will be provided for on that evening because of the church, because of the, her willingness to serve and to love. Uh, some of you will drop your youngest kids off at a weekday preschool here at Wallula Christian Church this week. And, and why is there a preschool at Wallula Christian Church? Because we saw a need uh, that wasn't provided for in a better way for our very earliest learners to be able to grow and to learn. And the church is still providing in that way. You know, this evening, your, your uh, elementary age kids will maybe go to jam and your, your students in high school and middle school will go to student ministries that are provided here at Wallula Christian Church this evening and, and uh, all to, to help grow them spiritually. This helping ministry serves in so many different ways. This morning, of course, is this silent auction for, for Team Nolan and, and the different ways that we reach out and we're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus loving others. The church makes that huge difference. Absolutely, we have a responsibility individually. In fact, I think that's what Jesus gets to in verse 15. Neither do people put a light, a lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And, and so, you know, our first mission field is to our, our family and, and in our workplace and in our relationships that we're developing with, with friends and in the community and in the different activities that we're involved in. For sure, individually, we need to be sharing the love of Jesus in those ways. But as the church together, man, what a huge impact. What a huge impact the church has to really be the light of the world. We can be light when we serve together, when we, when we pour our energy in together. And, and as we serve together in, in step two, we can bring glory. That's step number three. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
as, we, as we're salt of the earth and we're light of the world, three things are going to happen, all right? The world is served. We're, we're making a difference in that, that way. Whether it's throughout history we've seen the church make a difference or it's, or it's this week we're going to see the church make a difference in the world around us. The world is going to be served because we are the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. The individual is blessed. You know, your life is changed as you, as you function as the hands and feet of Jesus, as the Spirit works through you, and as He changes you from the inside out, even through that service, even through speaking up for Jesus in those relationships that, that you have, you're made different and you're blessed in, in countless number of ways. And so the world is served and the individual is blessed. But the the biggest reason, the most important reason that we're to be salt of the earth and the light of the world is that uh, God will be glorified. That God will be praised because of those good deeds. You know, it's interesting that we kind of live in this world where, you know, we're, we're constantly taking selfies and we're, we're putting up beautiful pictures of our wonderful life and, and we're kind of always... Uh, the center of attention, you know, and, and maybe some of us like that more than others, but it's interesting when you think about, when you think about heaven, you know, who's the center of attention? Uh, if you turn to the very end of the book, if you go to the last uh, book of the Bible in, in, in Revelation, in chapters 4 and 5, you'll read uh, about this uh, spectacular scene in heaven, this, this worship that takes place in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And, and when you start in verse in chapter 4, you'll read about this scene. You'll read about some spectacular things ta- taking place and some, some awesome beings that are present. And at the center is, is this throne. And you think, well, where am I in this picture? And each one of us shows up. Uh, eventually, we show up in, in chapter 5. Uh, if you look at verse 8, And when he had taken it, it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. This is the first place we show up, where where this bowl of incense, our prayers, are present in this bowl of incense. And you think, well, man, we're a bowl of incense? That's our deal? Well, don't worry, because we're going to show up again in verse 13 of chapter 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. So we show up first to our prayers as this bowl of incense, this collective bowl of incense. And then we show up as a member of this billion-member choir. You know, singing praises to God. You know, there's no soloist. There's just this huge choir praising God together. Everything in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation points to Jesus. Everything points to God. It's all about that throne. It's all about Him. But when we think about being salt and light in the world, you know, Jesus said, let your good works be seen. Why? So that God would be praised. So that God would be glorified. Uh, we we want to bring glory to 
him in everything we do. You know, we'll watch that game uh, this afternoon, and, and there'll be a play that will go under review. Uh, the replay's been used in all sorts of different sports, and several years ago, there was a baseball game that was played. Uh, there was a, a pitcher on the mound by the name of Armando Galarraga. Just last night in this Royals game, I know that there were three of us watching uh, last night, and the, those Royals pitcher had a, had a perfect game going into the ninth inning, and then he sort of, you could tell he was really nervous. You know, and the first guy he walked, and his perfect game was gone. And then the next guy had a base hit, and his no-hitter was gone. And then uh, they took the starter out, and the relief pitcher came in, and the run scored, and the shutout was gone. And I thought this will be the most royal thing that happens when they lose this game, that they had a perfect game through eight innings. But they they ended up holding on. Armando Galarraga was in a, a similar situation several years ago before instant replay really caught on in Major League Baseball. At the time, they were only reviewing whether a ball was fair or foul or over the fence for a home run or whether it was should be a ground rule double. That was the only replay that they had. And Galarraga had a perfect game going through eight and two-thirds inning. In other words, he needed one more out. He needed one more out. And so when the batter hit a ground ball and he raced to cover first base and they threw him the ball and he touched on the bag and everyone in the stadium and watching on television knew that the runner was out, a celebration was about to ensue until the umpire called him safe. Perfect game gone. A blown call. In fact, the umpire felt so bad after the game that he did something that umpires never do. He apologized for his mistake. He apologized for that uh, blown call to Galarraga and to everyone else. And, and it was really, as much as we might remember that guy for a perfect game, we remember uh, Armando Galarraga more for the way that he treated the umpire after that blown call. It was one of the most incredible uh, acts of sportsmanship on both of those guys' parts after that game. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want to watch a game for the umpire. We want to watch the game for the game. The very best games are when you don't even notice the official. Your, your attention is only on what's going on in the field. Your attention is only on what happens in the actual game. When nothing has to be under review, when the officials don't play a huge role, those are the very best games. And as we are salt of the earth and make a difference, as we live lives that impact others, as we're light of the, to the world and we show uh, the world that Jesus loves them and that he cares about them, let our good deeds and our actions be seen by others so that they might not notice us so much, but that they'd see Jesus and they'd realize how much he cares for them. Let's stand and worship him together.